Hola, I'm Adela Yelton, and thank you for joining us at Latina South. Latina South welcomes friendly conversations with Latinas and friends who live, work, and play throughout the South and Southeast. We'll enjoy some savory bits of wisdom while we share about what it takes to thrive in life while holding on to the best of what makes us Latinas in the South. Welcome. Just because I'm an immigrant, just because I'm a woman, just because I'm uh, half Afro-Latina or half uh, Malay, I can still do it. I, you, I, you have the same power that I do. Today, we welcome Ish Gale. Ish serves as the Senior Director of Operations at the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. She's also Vice Chair of the Board of Directors at the Center of Pan-Asian Community Services, or CPACs. Let's listen as Ish shares with us how her unique Afro-Latina and Malay backgrounds influence her passion for serving both the Hispanic and Asian communities. She also reserves a special place in her heart for EME, a program which educates, motivates, and empowers Latina entrepreneurs at the Chamber. Hola, Ish. How are you? Welcome to Latina South. I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so happy that you're able to join us this morning. I know you're a busy person. Tell me more about your Latina identity. That can be complex uh, to some extent. Now, my father is from Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur specifically. I was born in Guatemala, but my mother took me back to Panama. And there's where basically I grew up and, and you know, embraced the culture, etc. I would consider myself a very mixed, you know, ethnicity because my dad is uh, obviously Asian. And then my mother, she comes from indigenous and black. So she's Afro-Latina. And I obviously then have the mix of Afro-Latina and Asian. What a very <laughs> unique combination. And I want to know more about each of those parts of, of you and how they contribute and show up in your everyday life. Tell me a little bit more about the Malaysian part, or is it Malay? How would you describe that part of your identity? Yes, it will be Malay. You know, in all honesty, their relationship was uh, shortly lived. So I really didn't have a lot of exposure to the culture. I did visit when I was 16 and uh, get to meet my family, my grandmother. It's a very interesting culture. I uh, The wording, it's very similar to English and Spanish, you know, same symbols and such. I was raised Catholic and um, over there they were Muslims. So in adapting to, you know, such a different um, way of thinking, you know, was quite different. My my step uh, sister and brother, my half brother and half sister, they all, you know, cover their face and they pray so many times a day. So I learned to respect it and, and, and really embrace who they were. I've always cherished, you know, to to get to know more, but um, I had a whole life in, in Panama and I do keep in touch now to technology. We have WhatsApp and we have emails and Instagram. So it's really amazing to know, you know, how part of me it's coming from that side. And, and I love it. I love it. I, I get to understand a little bit more of, of the Asian side of things and, and respect it. You know, your life is one of exposure or even experiences or identity of, of different cultures 
different languages, even uh, different religions. How do those experiences uh, show up for you today? I actually have an affinity for the Asian community to the point that I actually have served over seven years now to a, an organization here in Georgia called the Center of Pan-Asian Services or CPACs. I've been part of their board for quite some time, gotten me to understand and learn the struggles and the challenges that uh, the Asian community have here in in Georgia. From your service on the board, what are some of the challenges that you've that you've learned about? Well, definitely uh, language. They are very conservative. They are family oriented, and and they don't necessarily fully adapt uh, as other cultures immediately. The elderly represent such a big, important piece of the puzzle, and 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 they they servants. They they very much servants. They respect each other. Um, in as far as work and and opportunities as well, they work together. I remember having an opportunity back then when when we were serving, and and they reported a donation from a, just a community leader uh, for a whole building, you know. And and I kept thinking mm-hmm. to myself, wow. And I'm talking about the minority life, right? Not necessarily the large corporations, but right. you know. I, I just cannot identify myself as Latina too. So when I look at my Hispanic relationships, I'm like, wow, I don't see that in this side. They have such a deep connection with the fact that they have to work together. It's a role model for all of us cultures, you know, how they operate and how they want to bring each other up. What do you cherish most about your service with CPAC? They not only serve the community with the core basics, you know, uh, and just allowing them to understand, you know, the voting process and allowing them to understand the rights and bring medical assistance, bring support to their elderly, you know, have a building full of uh, departments that contain, you know, an array of options for the community to to be in the know and to understand. They have translators for over 20 different languages, I believe. And, it, and it's amazing to be able to house that all in one organization to the point that the community itself just recognized that CPAC is an integral part of how they need to live and how they need to adapt to where they at. I do enjoy thoroughly the fact that we were able to recognize throughout the years the need of medical assistance. And it was very difficult to, to really um, advocate uh, for uh, that community to go to doctors where there were no translations and there were no services in their language. So uh, CPACs applied for their first federal clinic and they basically got the grant and we were able to open a small little doctor's office and it started very little, just a few doctors. And in time, I was able to see the growth. We have added dental, we have added, you know, OBGYN and, and different specializations uh, on the health side. Funny enough, because of the location, actually a lot of the patients that come into that location are actually Hispanic. <laughs> so we serve a heavy, heavy amount of Hispanics and Asian in just one single small uh, federal clinic. It's amazing to see. And, and we have had the opportunity to share this with, um, uh, you know, uh, Senator Warnock that recently came came and visit, and Congresswoman Bordeaux also came recently. We're getting noticed because we are, you know, the organization that's combining all of these different cultures in one place. And I'm very honored to be the one that I can tell the story to my Hispanic leadership and, you know, bring it back to them, to the Asian community and and, and learn from both. So it sounds like that puts you in a very unique position to tell 
the story or be the voice uh, on behalf of several communities and organizations that are out doing the work on the ground and making a huge impact. Let's talk about the Afro-Latino side. Is that a term that you identify with or what term would you prefer? You won't believe it, but, you know, as a full-on immigrant, you know, back in Panama, we don't even recognize us Afro-Latinos. Panama history is very deep. Uh, We had a lot of exposure back in uh, colonization time. Uh, You know, slaves were brought all to Latin America, mostly to the coast of all Latin America. And, And so there were settlements there. And of course, the indigenous mix with not only the Africans, but also the, the Spaniards. Uh, so there were very int- a lot of interesting mixes, right? But race is not as a big issue there. Uh, mm-hmm. they, there's not so much of a, of a talk about it. It's more of a more socioeconomic position uh, than anything, uh, not necessarily black or white. Uh, it, it's very open, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily look at it under the microscope. And then when I came here to the United States, you know, uh, I saw that a lot of people talk about black and white and Latino and, and I really didn't even identify necessarily with any. I just kind of watch back and, 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 and study <laughs> the right. culture because I was still, you know, under the shock of, you know, how do you drive in 285 and how do you, you know, uh, speak to others and how do you work in the regular workforce here? Right. And- you actually relocated to the U.S. as an adult. Is that right? That is correct. I was mm-hmm. twenty, so um, uh, you know, it was it was quite a quite a challenge to understand all of those uh, shifts, and um, you know, I, I realized shortly after that our Latinos really they don't choose necessarily Latinos as a, as a thing. Uh, a lot of them really uh, segment themselves by country because the country kind of has a little bit more weight of who they are as a culture, you know, they have the Mexicans, you have the Puerto Ricans, you have the, and there's such a pride of bringing this up in within the Latino community that we don't necessarily come and say, oh, I'm just Latino. Uh, we mm-hmm. have to actually mention the country <laughs> to, to really identify ourselves and position ourselves as, as who we are in, in the United States. It is interesting to hear your perspective. You mentioned experiencing shock or or what we call culture shock Mm -hmm. when you relocated to the U.S. as an adult. Race was one of the elements of that. Well, and and you mentioned also driving on 285, which by the way, for our listeners who are not from the Atlanta area, 285 is a a highway loop that goes around the city and there's so much traffic on there that it can be scary to drive on there sometimes. One of the things that did, uh, you know, really scared me was to drive in, in, in Atlanta because I wasn't used to necessarily all the news about what's happening in traffic and, and just listening to, you know, accident in here and accident there. And, you know, it just formed this idea that, you know, it was very unsafe to really drive, period. You know, uh, I guess in my country, they, they were not, during my time, my young years, they weren't as aggressive in, in letting know and having the technology also to make sure that folks understand what's happening out there and they can avoid the traffic and the accidents and all the barriers to get to work. Me understanding that, I said, wow, it's just it's, it's just really crazy. So I really didn't want to buy a car for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I rode MARTA and uh, I actually had to take two buses and a train just to get downtown from uh, Decatur. I had to 
start from the bottom. So I, I worked uh, in a restaurant for quite some time, Applebee's, and I made really great friends. Actually, my affinity then, I, I was really surrounded with a lot of Afri African-Americans. And I was able to understand a little bit of the Southern uh, hospitality thing. And, and they had this huge event uh, here, very common to the South in Atlanta called Fricknick. And, you know, there was a lot of conversations and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really what's happening. People would invite me to come over and eat and just openly, you know, it was not the city environment that I expected, but I did learn to adapt to it and, and make really great friends from since I came here and it was a challenge at first, you know, the language, my the way I pronunciated words and trying to adapt to, to the new me. I was very, very uh, lucky to actually start working for a government organization as a data entry person because of my bilingual skills. And I think that that really made a difference. As an immigrant, it, you're basically handicapped if you don't have the language uh, to integrate successfully to any society. And, and that was really the key for me to get jobs that would allow me to grow. And from there, I actually started working at the Atlanta Regional Commission, which is a planning commission for the 10 metro Atlanta area. I got to go to college. I got to marry and have children. And I, I lived my life there almost 17 years. <laughs> I am forever grateful for the opportunity they gave me and, and, you know, they stay in my heart. You mentioned being bilingual. Uh, you saw that as an opportunity and you seized it as an opportunity to grow and develop. And let's talk a little bit more about your educational path. You actually got your degree later in life. When did you decide that you were going to go back to school? You know, I actually was working for the Atlanta Regional Commission when I made that decision. It was the moment where I realized that everyone in the building had intelligent comment about specific processes. And while I was doing the processes, you know, the legwork for all the data crunching, and maybe I was actually managing the database for them, I realized that you know, I needed to be a little bit more versed about what I was talking about. I, I needed to measure up to my peers. If I can be completely honest, I realized that also my children needed to have a model to go by. When I actually went to school here in Georgia, um, I saw myself and I, and I listened to all of those prepared individuals and, and how far they have gotten uh, because of school. Um, and, and I didn't have a real excuse about the language. I speak English. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I said, you know, what is really holding me back to take that chance? Uh, and really and truly, a lot of the work that I did, that I, it was related to the career that I chose, which was in technology and computer science. So I, I got to really understand a little bit more of the work that I was doing at the time. And it all fit together. This is something I could do all the time. So why not, you know, invest in in, in, in get that extra layer of understanding and education. And at the same time, uh, let my children see me, see that I made it here. And, and I was able to, that this is the path that I was able mm -hmm. to show them by example, you know, it, just because I'm an immigrant, just because I'm a woman, just because I'm uh, half Afro Latina or half uh, Malay, I can still do it. I, you, I, you have the same power that I do. Well, congratulations. I know it wasn't easy when you made the decision to go back and, and you stuck to it. And, and now an example for your kids, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. They see that. And we can shift a little bit and, and, and mm -hmm. talk a, a more about your work at the chamber. And you mentioned, is it providing training and, and education 
and, and, and really removing the barrier to, to opportunities would really uh, lift up a lot of people. So tell me about what some of those barriers might be. Absolutely. Uh, so of course, the language, I cannot stress it enough that that's one of the things in working here at the chamber, we have seen, you know, anything from understanding how permissions or, or permits for their business or how really integrating their business into their local area uh, can be difficult. Immigrants as a whole, what we notice is that they re- normally just start working, they have an entrepreneurship uh, effort of some sort, and um, they they just go ahead and conduct their business. Actually, there's some, a lot of them thrive on it, but they don't really go to the process of the journey where you actually create a business plan and create a marketing plan and a strategy plan. And finding out now that we're trying to serve some entrepreneurs that have, have been in the system for a while, have been getting income and have been successful at it and and having to understand now how did you did all that with all of the barriers they when we bring the business plan and a conversation or the marketing plan conversation they they really know some of it some of the elements of it but but it's different from where they come from so they used to uh, other set of rules from their countries and mm-hmm. they just came here and just developed and didn't really the time to understand how it works here. A lot of them winged it. <laughs> they just figured it out. They just kind of went and did it and hustle and hustle, hustle, hustle. Absolutely. So when we sit with them, and we're right now offering a lot of programming that is free for uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs. Last year, we did it for another segment, which is uh, a little bit more um, experienced and established business. But this year, we were doing a brand new because they are higher risk of closing their their business in the first five years. So um, we wanted to make sure we target those individuals. And what we have had to do is literally separate our classes because we had a segment that um, knew English and and had some formation education in their country. So they were going to adapt quicker to some of the uh, workshops and the business education we were offering. And then we have this other segment, which are the women, uh, Latinas, like the fastest growing segment uh, entrepreneurs right now in the country. Mm-hmm. And they rather take these classes in Spanish. They rather take it easy. On top of that, a lot of them took a toll with the COVID. You know, they had to, mm-hmm. if they have professions of any sort, they had to leave them and stay home with their children and, and, and start working in something else so they can watch their kids while we were in quarantine. So a lot of them um, have great ideas, have the entrepreneurship uh, soul, but they do need to be walked and and guided a little bit more slower than others because their understanding, it's a little bit, they have to wiggle, I guess, so much more, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, they have all of this multitasking to do, you know, family, uh, et cetera. So the barriers are, are different from different segments. You know, the women have all these barriers, men really and truly. They just work all day and, and they it's really hard to get them in a room to, teach, to to learn something new because they are working all day. So we mm-hmm. have to find ways to network with them. Actually, our first our next uh, orientation uh, for the chamber, we, we will do it for the first time in a location uh, out there in a, in a mall that is primarily Hispanic. It's called Plaza uh, Las Americas. And we're going to, for the first time, we're going to do it all in Spanish because a lot of the 
that small businesses don't even know that they have resources through us. We need to make sure that that segment understands, yes, we're here, uh, we speak your language, and they will allow us to then understand what things we need to uh, provide feedback to other organizations. Um, something as simple as creating a business from scratch, you know, it's, it's different from City of Atlanta to Gwinnett to Full. It's different in all mm-hmm. municipalities, and, and that's something that is not clear for all. They all say, okay, well, I want to open this and let's just do it. I'll cook the food and you sell it. <laughs> it's really interesting to see, um, you know, uh, we, we definitely need to be there for them. Of course, there's other heavier barriers such as immigration and mm-hmm. transportation and access to, 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 you know, connectivity, technology, the, the digital divide that exists in our community. So healthcare, yeah, exactly. So uh, it all comes to a, a, a boiling plate where, where we need to look at holistically at the entire region and say, what are we doing about creating services that are inclusive to all? Uh, you can go to many websites from local government and some of them have Spanish, some of them don't, some links are broken, some of them have staff that speak Spanish, some of them don't have staff that speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So, so if someone calls about unemployment, we really have to rely on a close network of members that work with us, that we know they're bilingual. Because if we were to send them to Department of Labor, for example, it would be such a hurdle just to get to the one person that can explain and really walk them through, you know, what's happening and what, what are their rights and, and benefits throughout this pandemic. So, so we've seen, we've seen a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like with the Georgia Hispanic Chamber, the needs of of the people that you serve, you're trying to meet people where they're at, and and those needs might be different than other kind of traditional chambers. And so you guys are making adjustments to meet those needs, thinking holistically, working with other organizations to the extent that you need to bring them in. That's a that's a heavy load. I'm glad you're there to help lead that. And you mentioned uh, Latinas in business and being the fastest growing segment. I mean, I I know we've seen firsthand the impact of uh, this past year, COVID and the pandemic on uh, Latina women specifically because they are, for a lot of different reasons, primary care providers or have to make adjustments that maybe other segments of the population don't have to. But there's still, we're still moving forward in spite <laughs> of, right? In spite mm-hmm. of, what would you say about Latina women business? business owners in general? We are definitely a special breed. We bring that flavor to the table where we know that we are used to somewhat difficult life, I would say. Not all in every story, but all Latinas have been through some sort of transition that is heavy, either family oriented or, you know, educational or, or from work experience, because we have lived a path that Somehow, you know, we've been stereotyped or we've been judged to some extent. And I think mm-hmm. that that had made us so much so much stronger and resilient. Right now, it's our time, really. You know, we have what maybe a person that is not a Latina, you know, and I'm not discounting the fact that women overall, we, we all experience different things and somewhat similar challenges too. Latinas, what I've seen from all encompassing the chamber work and, and other organizations is that they have that fabric of, 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 of strength. They resilient. We are very resilient and we're willing to adapt and learn and, and embrace that change because we're used to <laughs> constant change and constant challenge 
even within ourselves, our, our chamber, we want to be more intentional about that change. Look at the speakers we have, look at where we're taking these events, what languages are we using, where and when, uh, what, are, what are women needed? Oh, we have an actual group. It's called uh, Emmet Women's Committee, which stands for Educating, Mentoring, and Empowering Women. They all have children and they're professionals. And some of them are uh, entrepreneurs that are doing a lot of marketing work and, and they're putting ourselves out there every day on a podcast, on a, on a, on a Facebook Live and, and teaching others. Having the strength of all of these women in one group and just being able to work and look in a strategic way, how can we continue to grow and make sure that our women are educated and they, they continue to be empowered and, and, and find the resources that they need to continue to grow. It's such a special task. So we're excited. Uh, I applaud all Latinas out there. So thank you so much for asking that question. I'm, I'm very passionate about my, my Latino <laughs> women. <laughs> Well, I definitely hear it in your voice. And thank you for the work that you do and the leadership that you provide, not just with the chamber, but with also CPAC and other organizations where you choose to spend your time. And I am going to uh, agree with you in that the time for Latinas is now opportunity for leadership. Uh, in in organizations such as yourself, I would love to see all Latinas <laughs> more and more and more. Ish, what what words of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners? The main one would be embrace change. Change will happen. You know, uh, uh, in some, a lot of us, especially women, uh, Latinas, professionals, or entrepreneurs, even immigrants as a whole, we we are so afraid of change, and and we fear that we won't won't be enough or develop enough to be different and, and do the right thing. But uh, I would say, just don't be afraid. Embrace change because change is what really uplifts us and really empower us. We will not know what's in the other side unless we actually go through the process and, and understand the process. And don't be afraid to fail. Bring new ideas. So long you work hard and, and are open to learn the new structures, the new profession, the new opportunities, you know, you can just say that at least you try. It may look different. It may sound different. It might not be what you're used to. But um, once you immerse yourself, if, if you're willing to work hard and learn and adapt, uh, you will be successful in anything that you choose to do. How can we best support you and your work? You can reach out to the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Anyone who wants to um, become a member or want to understand a little bit of what we do, you can reach out to us. Even for my work at CPACs, if, if you're interested in, in participating more in community work for the Asian community as well, I think that uh, it takes a, a village, like they say, right? Please do contact us because we are in desperate need always for either monetary donations or mentors or speakers. And we will have the ability to really position you well professionally or help your business or, or establish business to grow. Well, thank you so much, Ish. I appreciate you being here and talking with us at Latina South and providing us with all the good information and resources for the Hispanic Chamber and also your work at CPAC. And uh, well, thank you. I look forward to following you and your success ish because you're still you're still going absolutely well thank you so much you're very welcome thank you for having me i appreciate the opportunity and and anything you need we're here take care 
you for joining us at Latina South. And thank you to our sponsors, She Lens Consulting and Mark of the Potter. And thank you to the OGs who allow us to use their music in this episode. The music is called Higher, and you can find a link in our show notes. And thank you to the people that help this show happen behind the scenes, especially Jennifer Hutchison on social media. Hasta la próxima. See y'all. Yeah.